to Saturday Morning Live. I'm Lyle Sorensen. It is the 1st of September, 2nd, whatever, of September, but it's the beginning of September already. What in the world happened? It seems like three months ago it was February, and here we are. It looks like we might be having a nice fall. looks like things are gearing up. It's going to be a nice warm day today. All right, you're going to want to buckle up your seatbelts. You're going to want to hang on. You're going to want to turn up the volume today. Um, I think most of the people here are pretty familiar with um, a no-barrier shelter down on State Street, 1022 North State Street. It's It's been notorious. It's been infamous. Um, it was touted as kind of a poster child in Bellingham for no-barrier housing. And boy, has it. Um, I'm joined today by Misty Flowers. Um, some of you may know Misty. She's a local musician that plays great music. You should check out some of her shows. Um, she's a recent candidate for county executive. And I think probably most importantly to her, she's a mom. Welcome, Misty. Thank you for having me, and good morning, everybody. Yeah. So let's just let's just get into it. Um, kind of a brief history on, on 22 North. Um, it made the news... Um, because of um, being a public nuisance. There was open drug use. There was all sorts of trafficking, humans, stolen property, whatever you can imagine going on, drugs, all those things, and overflowing into the surrounding neighborhood. Um, the neighbors created an outcry, got the attention of the city and the Opportunity Council and whatever and whatever. Um, kind of it really culminated um, in the death of a young woman who was shot in the head in the stairwell um, over a $40 drug debt. And, you know, that kind of, that's what it took to um, catalyze them at least to clean up the outside. Misty is one of probably a few handful of people who aren't directly tied either because that's their job or whatever, but, She's there for another reason. You want to you want to talk about it because you've been inside, right? Recently, yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, twenty two North has been the biggest hell of my life and of my daughter's life. My daughter moved in there in October of last year um, with the promise that she, if she stayed there for a year, she would get housing from Section Eight for life. Um, so after Cassandra Booker was murdered there. Um, the Opportunity Council wanted to clean up what was going on inside. And one of the ways of doing that was to pitch this program to more young adults and teens that were struggling um, through the teen center and the drop-in center. Um, so my daughter was promised if she lived there for a year, she would get free housing for life or, or Section 8 for life. That was her incentive to move in there. Um, but what she got was uh, a horror show, to say the least. Um, she was held hostage in there. Um, for three days in November or early December, um, the person that held her hostage. This was 2022. Uh, yeah, it was at 22 North inside yeah, in, there. In 2022, though, last November? or Yes, 2022. Yeah. Yes. So she, um, she was in there. She was held hostage for three days. When they finally um, got the guy out, they um, told my daughter they were pressing charges, but they didn't. What they did instead was just put his name on a list of people that are um, criminally trespassed or lifetime trespassed from 22 North, which is a 
long and ever-growing list I of saw people. that. It's like two pages, single space, two columns. Um, it's kind of a who's... Ten-point font. Yeah, it's kind of like a who's who of trouble in downtown Bellingham. Yes. And so my daughter, um, you know, she went through horrible, horrible situation there. Um, there was no accountability for the person that, that committed the crime, and um, I was there two weeks ago. Uh, I saw him sitting outside the building. So obviously there was no accountability and there's no incentive for him to stay away from there, even though um, he has had a, um, a restraining order put on him for mm-hmm. stalking my daughter after this happened to her. He continues to go to the building and to try to get back in there. Yeah. Wow. So that's been a problem, I think. The whole time with 22 North really has been a lack of screening. And, and I think we see that in no barrier housing where and I, I think I think that it comes from a very idealistic, well-intentioned um, perspective that if we can put a roof over somebody's head, that it will put them in a more stable environment. It will remove some of the challenges from their life and they'll actually start to make changes. But I think what 22 North is, has really demonstrated really well is that if you don't have proper screening, you don't have proper supervision, and you don't have proper programming, and you don't have any accountability, basically what you've just done is created a really nice indoor encampment. Yeah, and there's you know there's drug use going on in there, but I guarantee you there's also drug making going on in there. The smell in there sometimes is, is unbearable um, after my daughter – which is another situation. Um, my daughter ended up in the hospital, but I had to fight to get in there to get her out. And so they're screening, but they're screening the wrong people. They've mm-hmm. treated me like a criminal when I go there to go visit my daughter, even though she has never asked me not to come. She's never told me she didn't want me there. It, but I have had a staff member who didn't like me mm-hmm. tell me my do- daughter didn't want me there. Yeah. And my daughter has never said that. She's never acted like that. And I've always been the kind of parent. Mm-hmm. My, you know, I respect boundaries. She's right. 21. If she didn't want me there, I wouldn't be there. Right. You know, it took me two days to get in there to get my daughter out and get her to the emergency room when she had messaged me asking for help. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, that really is. I mean, that's almost speaking of being held hostage. Um, there we go. Yeah. And, you know, interestingly, oh, shoot, we've got to go to a commercial break. You're listening to Saturday Morning Live. I'm joined today by Misty Flowers. We're going to step away and take a quick break so that we've got a little more uninterrupted time. And um, tell your friends, turn up the volume, and we'll be right back. Some days I cover up because of my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. Now I'm hitting the road with clearer skin thanks to Sky Rizzy, Rizm Kism of Rizza, a prescription-only 150 milligram injection for adults who are candidates for systemic or phototherapy. With Sky Rizzy, three out of four people achieved 90% clearer skin at four months. And Sky Rizzy is just four doses a year after two starter doses. Don't use if allergic to Sky Rizzy. Serious allergic reactions and an increased risk of infections or a lower ability to fight them may occur. Before treatment, your doctor should check for infection and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms such as fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, or if you plan to or recently received a vaccine. Thanks to Sky Rizzy, there's nothing on my skin. And that means everything. your doctor today about Sky Rizzy, the number one dermatologist prescribed biologic in psoriasis. And visit SkyRizzy.com or call 1-866-SKY-RIZZY to learn more. 
Lindale Glass is your premier window and door company in Whatcom and Skagit County. With over 35 years of professional installation experience, you can rely on the dedicated employees at Lindale Glass to provide an exceptional install. Lindale Glass features Milgard windows and doors, leading the industry with innovative, high-quality products. You can be assured of a product that is customized for your home. No shortcuts, no gimmicks, just excellent service and exceptional quality from Milgard. Visit a Lindale showroom to learn more or online at lindaleglass.com. Do you know a group or individual in our community that works tirelessly to make a difference? Dedicated to Service wants to give them a special shout-out on the air. Email the details to dedicated at cascaderadiogroup.com. Dedicated to Service, brought to you by Nieder House of Luxury, Whatcom County's premier jewelry store, with over 45,000 unique pieces to choose from in their online store, and over 1,500 beautiful choices in-store. Nieder House of Luxury, 21 Bellwether Way, Suite 107, next to Lombardi's Back Patio. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. Joined today by Misty Flowers, and we're kind of doing an insider's look at 22 North. Um, You know, if you talk to the powers that be, they will tell you that, look, it's not a mess on the sidewalk anymore. There's not open drug use. There's not open prostitution. There's not, you know, crime on the neighborhood. But, you know, I was talking to a neighboring business owner yesterday, and he's like, yeah, that's what they say. You know, and, and, you know, he has a business that potentially could cater to children. And he said because of the presence of 22 North, he is not able to do that, which is a really good profit center for his for his business. He does instructional things and uh, he's he can't do it in that location just because 22 North really isn't cleaned up. You know, it's interesting you mentioned, um, you know, very strong drug odors and and those things. Um you know, you you mentioned uh, you m- mentioned Cassandra Booker, who was murdered there. Um, I spent a couple hours reading through an abbreviated version of the police report, and it's pretty compelling and it's pretty powerful. Um, when you read that, um, it's a narrative of what went on there um, as police interviewed the residents, and you know, it, it's it's like a it's like an encampment, except it's in a building. Um, you know, all sorts of drug use, people couch surfing, all sorts of people there who don't live there, who aren't on any leases. Um, it, it's like a, it's like a Breaking Bad soap opera. So, you were we were talking during the break, and you were saying you had to you had to basically break your daughter out practically, right? I think she, you yeah. said she had a kidney infection or something that was yeah. getting septic. Yeah, she had texted me asking me to come pick her up to take her to the hospital, which I knew at that point it was really something was going really wrong. Um, it's really hard to communicate with her in there. She doesn't have a phone, and I basically have to ask the staff to go get her to get her to come down. Um, and the day that I went there, I the first day I actually had, had called the police nine one one to ask them to meet me there because I knew that the staff would not let me in there. Mm-hmm. And so they got there and they went up to her room and she wasn't there. She was in her boyfriend's room, a few doors down, which apparently, according to my daughter, the staff was very aware where she was at. And instead, they went into her bedroom she, or into her studio. She wasn't in there, so they sent the police out and the the EMTs. 
So I couldn't find my daughter. She was still in the building. Um, I went back there the next day when my daughter messaged me again saying, please help me. And I told them that she needed medical help. They acted like I was making it up. They acted like if she doesn't tell them specifically that she's needing medical help, that they're not going to do anything about it. She is a very private person. She was mm-hmm. not interested in airing out her right. medical issues with them. But it was very apparent she was having medical issues. Right. Right. You know, it was very visually apparent she was having right. medical issues. Right. Um, she was leaving, a, you know, not to be graphic, no. but she was leaving blood trail through mm-hmm. the halls. They were very aware something was going wrong. Right. And yet they were acting like somehow I was wrong to be there to try to help. Right. You know, right. and a lot of the people that do have medical emergencies there, they mm-hmm. don't call 911, mm-hmm. especially if they're having um, drug addiction issues. Right. Because they're often treated really poorly at the hospital. They're scared. Mm-hmm. You know, they're scared of what's going to happen and how they're going to be treated. And mm-hmm. especially somebody like my daughter who doesn't really trust, you know, complete me- the medical establishment already. Mm-hmm. You know, for her mm-hmm. to even go is a big deal. Mm-hmm. She wanted me to go with her so that I could advocate for her. Right. Right. Well, and, and and that's true. I think, you know, anytime you're involved in uh, hospitalization or in the medical um, system, you know, regardless of what your trust level is, you have to be aware and you have to advocate for yourself. Yeah. Um, and I, she I've was not in a position well. to advocate for no, herself right? at that point. Yeah. So she was asking for my help. Yeah, totally. But they did nothing to help. And then right. they didn't tell her case manager she was in the hospital. So her case manager is going to her door every day, leaving notes. You need to contact me. You need to contact me. When she finally got out of the hospital and I take her there, I, I, I take her there to get a couple of things. And the case manager is livid at my daughter. Right. Because right. my daughter had went MIA for a few days. Oh, boy. OK. So so we've got some challenges. Um, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot there are a lot of trends in the community um, because we have all these community challenges regarding homelessness, regarding addiction, regarding all of these things. And. Housing first, no barrier housing has been presented as a magical talisman that if we put people under this talisman that we call a roof, that their problems will disappear, that everything will get better, and yeehaw, here we go. Um, interestingly, I was, uh, I was reading an NPR article about the most successful program in Seattle. It's a program called Just Care, and Just Care has gone in, and they They've been going for a little while. They've gone in and they've taken people out of encampments prior to sweeps and put them in kind of temporary housing. And their goal is to transition them into, you know, permanent um, supported housing, PSH. Another one of the buzzwords, you know, and they like to like to have you believe that 22 North is PSH. And um, that's. Pretty debatable. But one of the interesting things that came out of that article, as they're touting this program, when you get click all the backlinks behind the article, what you find out is that they are screening the people who go into their program. They're taking out, on average, 17% of the people in the camps, either because they have needs that exceed the resources of the program or because they're a danger to the other people who participate in the program. Well, that's pretty telling. Then the next thing that happens is is they put people in temporary housing um, with wraparound um, and full harm reduction so they have safe places for them to continue to use their drugs. Um, there's not really any 
like not a lot of accountability there. Um, to make a long story short, their first cohort, only 20% went into permanent supported housing. The rest went back on the street. Their next cohort, they made some changes. Among the changes that they made was that they got King County to give them more money for more PSH. And so they got like 70% in or 80% in. But they still had, at the end after all of that, they had 17%. After they took 17% out at the beginning, they got more investment to provide more PSH. They still had 17% go back back on the street. That's the most successful program in Seattle. What's interesting when you read statistics and when you read about programs are the things that they tell you that they're tracking and the things they aren't tracking are just as telling. Very interestingly, what they weren't telling you was what what their situation was with substances at the end of this program. Um, there was no data regarding that at all. So what that would what that would infer is that there was no significant improvement. Because if there was, you know, there would have been. Woohoo! Look at this. This program really works. These people are actually getting clean. Also, the other thing that was left out was there an was their engagement with law enforcement in the criminal justice system. That also was left out. So the most successful program in Seattle um, is getting them into permanent stabilized housing. They also didn't talk about the cost of that. And the program really hasn't been going long enough, and they haven't tracked how long the people are staying in PSH after they get them in there. So that's the best we got. And to be honest with you, that's not very good. Yeah, well, and I've asked the county council multiple times to give us any data on how much how many people are lives are getting better from going into this program? You know, my daughter mm-hmm. had a part-time job. She had a car. She had money in the bank when she moved in there. Now she has no bank account because it got frozen and money was pulled out of my account. Her car got impounded, parked outside of their building, um, which they offered to do nothing for, even though they told her it was safe to park it there. And now she has a, a major um, addiction issue. And is struggling. Absolutely. She's poorer than she's ever been. Most of the people living in this building are in extreme poverty. Okay. And the county council has given so far the Opportunity Council $838,000. And I'm asking, can you tell me one person whose life has become better from this wraparound services? They don't have toilet paper. They don't have drinking water. But they they can get a cigarette if they fight. Right. Well, and interestingly... You know, you talk about that and, and, you know, you come to a lot of the council meetings, you know, I've been to most of them for the last 18 months. One of the things that's really interesting with Northwest Youth Services and with the Opportunity Council is they like to come in right before all their funds are going to expire and say, if you don't give us this funding, we're going to have to lay people off and our programs are going to go to seed and this is going to be horrible and there's going to be this gap in our services. But they haven't provided, you're talking about reports and documentations. And when you look at their contracts, they have reporting requirements. I have yet to see those reports. Um, I requested them. Um, OC used to put reports up on their website, but a lot of their website hasn't been updated for 2023. Um, You know, their 2022 financials aren't up there yet. There's 
there are a lot of gaps. So when you start to when you start to do some research, it's like, well, who quit taking care of the website? You know, mm-hmm. um, th- I did find a note that you can request them, but yeah. Yeah, it's at this point, it's a joke. The fact that they're continuing to fund this program with no accountability and no evidence that it's actually working. And when you take people's um, sense of purpose out of life mm-hmm. and then you isolate them in a building mm-hmm. and then you hand them a drug addiction, the environment itself increases drug addiction in there. Well, absolutely. You're, it's association and you're surrounded by it. I mean, you're going to have contact highs just from living there. Absolutely. Even those who don't use, I guarantee you they would, they would have a positive test. All right. You're listening to Saturday Morning Live. I'm Lyle Sorensen, joined by Misty Flowers today. We're kind of talking about no barrier housing. We're talking about 22 North. We'll be right back. Homelessness is a challenge many face in Whatcom County, but there is hope. Since 1923, the Lighthouse Mission Ministries has been providing shelter and services for those who need it most. Lighthouse Mission provides a safe and caring environment for individuals and families experiencing homelessness. The mission offers a warm bed, hot meals, and supportive community to help hurting neighbors back on their feet. But they don't stop there. With the help of generous people in our community, the Lighthouse Mission also offers case management, addiction recovery services, job training, and educational resources to help people achieve achieve long-term success. Everyone deserves a chance to rebuild their life. Your help is needed to make that happen. Your donation will make a huge impact on the lives of men and women in our community. Please visit thelighthousemission.org to learn more about how you can help support our neighbors who are homeless. Your donation will make a huge impact on the lives of men and women in our community. Please visit thelighthousemission.org to learn more about how you can help support our neighbors who are homeless. Together, we can provide a brighter future for those in need. Lighthouse Mission Ministries, where hope begins. Learn more at the Lighthouse Mission Tandoori Bites will send you on a journey with the smells, decor, and music of a real trip overseas. You'll be amazed with fresh, flavorful, authentic Indian food made to order. The unique, one-of-a-kind menu items are sure to delight your taste buds with over 100 different options to choose from, including oven-fresh naan, roti made to order, tender butter chicken, and succulent baked tandoori meats. Plus, plenty of vegetarian and halal options as well. Hear what their customers have to say. Best authentic Indian food I've ever eaten. Super healthy. I could eat this every day. I thought I didn't like Indian food, but it turns out I just never had good Indian food. Tandoori Bites has a full bar with full cocktails, Indian beer, and wine. Their drink selection will challenge your imagination. Using fresh fruits like guava and lychee into colorful drinks you're sure to enjoy. Tandoori Bites, Bellingham's best-kept secret. Offering full catering services, takeout, and delivery. Located at 505 32nd Street in Bellingham, just behind REI. Or at tandooribites.us. Tuning into the high school football game. Monitoring the incoming storm. They say what I think, but smarter. Catching your favorite talk show. These are just few of the reasons more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio. And AM radio is the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping you and your family safe in dangerous times. Visit wearebroadcasters.com to learn more and tell us how you depend on AM radio stations like KGMI. Latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Harness the power of the sun, reduce your carbon footprint, and save on your energy bills. You can now go solar with West Mechanical Heating, Air Conditioning, and Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. 
CBS News Brief, the federal judge in the election interference case against former President Trump may set a trial date on Monday. Former public defender Lucius Outlaw. For the defense, it dictates when you're going to do your investigation, which witnesses you're going to reach out to, when you're going to file motions and generally prepare for trial. It's a steamy weekend ahead for parts of the country, says the Weather Channel meteorologist Kelly Cass on CBS Saturday mornings. The heat, the humidity is still a problem, especially across the south into Louisiana, where we desperately need the rainfall. We have a very bad deficit in places like Lake Charles and New Orleans. Where we are going to be getting the rain is Florida, thanks to the tropics. People in the town of Maryville in southwestern Louisiana have been ordered to evacuate because of a wildfire that officials say is the largest they've ever seen. Ed Bush of the Red Cross. We're supposed to kind of catch a break. And, and, and between hurricanes and tornadoes and now fires and other things, uh, it, it's endless. CBS News Brief. I'm Christopher Cruz. That's what I'm talking about. Who needs coffee? You're listening to Saturday Morning Live. I'm Lyle Sorensen, joined by Misty Flowers. We're trying to have fun, but you know, it's kind of a heavy topic today. And so kind of need some bouncy music to kind of make things happen. You know, Whatcom County has some serious challenges right now. Um, WhatcomOverdosePrevention.org has some great data available on it. They're tracking overdoses. Um, the Whatcom EMS site has a dashboard that's really good also. Uh, we're averaging for the year nine overdose deaths per month in Whatcom County. So who's next, right? Um, I think in July, I haven't they haven't finalized the August numbers in July. I think there was 121 over EMS overdose calls. But um, I was talking to one of the guys in management in EMS, and uh, you know they've given out or the county's distributed 1,400. Narcan kits, overdose kits, and 62% of the time when they get an overdose call, someone has already administered Narcan before EMS gets there. So stop and think about that. We've got 121 reported. There's a pretty good likelihood that there are a lot that go unreported. Um, you know, and it's it's very typical. I'd encourage people, if if you can, get access to a scanner or a scanner app so you can hear EMS. It's very, very common to hear an overdose call, and they'll administer two, three, four doses of Narcan. The person will sit up and refuse help and go away. Happens almost every day. So I would venture to guess, and I think fairly safely and conservatively, that our actual over our actual overdose numbers are quite a lot higher than 121 Absolutely. for July. You you were saying that there's a lot that happens at 22 North that goes unreported. Yeah. So pretty much weekly, I get a text um, from friends that are paying attention to the scanner um, of yet another overdose at 22 North. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying, they're not always reported. You know, Um, a lot of the people that use now carry Narcan. Mm -hmm. But what I've been told by them is that the nasal Narcan doesn't work. 
they end up administering it, you know, five to seven times. Now they're carrying the Narcan in an, in the in the injection oh, form because okay. it works better. Mm-hmm. But now you've got lay people that really are not medically trained giving injectables to people in an effort to save their life. But again, this well, is not they're, saving they're anybody's fel- if life. If they're fellow junkies, they may be experienced with needles. Maybe, but not everybody that right. uses uses needles. Right. No, 100%. So we have people out on the streets, you know, trying to save each other, but it's it's such a temporary Band-Aid because they're mm-hmm. not getting the support services that they need Agreed. at all. And Narcan is not candy. This is not sugar, a sugar pill here. There are consequences. Every yep. pharmaceutical has side effects. They is do? anybody com- communicating to the people that are administering this or receiving this? You know the con- mm-hmm. the consequences of that. The, and, the long term. Yeah, and if you're getting it over and over every right. week, I mean, right. w- what yeah. does that look like? Yeah, nope. That's those are very valid points. You and know? we are spending a huge amount of money. Right, hundred percent. In feeding that beast. We are, and it is a beast, and we are feeding, and it's a problem that's growing. You know, it's interesting too. I was, I've got an, another friend who's pretty involved in public safety and talks to a ton of people. She's a great networker and um, very passionate about things and trying to make a difference in the community. And one of the things that she was saying is she's been talking to some of the box store management um, because there's there's word going around. Um, there are people who want to say, look, crime's going down. We don't need a new jail. We don't need accountability doesn't matter that there's between five and 10,000 outstanding warrants. It doesn't matter that 80 to 90% of cases of people with arraignments for misdemeanors and gross misdemeanors in municipal court in Bellingham aren't showing up for their arraignments. 80 to 90%. I was speaking with Ryan Anderson at the, pro- at the city prosecutor, who's the city prosecutor, and it was a Thursday. And he says, yeah. I, you know, I had 17 cases today on the docket. Know how many showed up? I said, no. I said, it's two. Two out of 17. I said, so is that typical? He goes, yeah, that's pretty typical now. I said, so what it used to be like? And he goes, well, 2019, it was probably four didn't show up out of 17. Hmm. Right? Instead of two showed up. So, you know, everything is standing on its head. We've got no accountability. We've got no consequences. We're not helping people to be accountable. And it's, it's really interesting because there are people who think that jail's evil and it's a bad thing. And helping people to be accountable is a bad thing. I, I would argue that it's not compassionate to let people continue in their addiction, to let, pe- to let people commit crimes without consequence, without accountability. You know, letting someone accrue 30 misdemeanors really isn't compassionate. You know, if you catch them on the first or second one, they haven't completely, you know, and you can get their attention and and catalyze change and catalyze behavior modification. That's compassionate, right? It's like, hey, Joe, we don't want you to totally screw up your life. You got a couple of misdemeanors. You'll still be employable. You know, you start getting a a long rap sheet. Somebody pulls you up and you got 30 charge. you know, you got 30 charges, you know. It's like, you know, you're hosed. And so, you know, this is such a talk about wraparound, right? This is a wraparound problem. Yeah. And we talk about compassion, but the same people that are saying that jail isn't compassion are willing to have a, a rotting jail where you've got, you know, what we have right now is not working. It is not humane. 
I've heard some pretty big horror stories about some of the behavior in there, too. We do need more accountability, but you cannot have accountability on one hand without accountability across the board. And you have to have capacity. Absolutely. And we do not have capacity. I, I, I had the privilege of touring both of our incarceral facilities with um, a 40-year veteran um, in the incarceral field who has been in over a thousand jails in the United States over the course of 40 years in, in the, in the industry. And he ranked our facilities in the bottom 10% of anything he's ever toured. His comment was, I don't know how you guys haven't been shut down. Um, so lack of accountability. Apparently across the board, across the board. Yeah. It's, this isn't good. It is a tragedy. You know, the message that we send people is it doesn't matter what you do, nothing's going to happen. You know, between five and 10,000 outstanding warrants in Whatcom County, a big amount of those are for failure to appear. But what message do we send when someone doesn't show up? We issue a failure to appear warrant. If they happen to get picked up on something else, they still don't go to jail and they have a failure to appear warrant. And how many of those are violent crimes? Uh, you know, a lot, a good portion of those are felonies. Um, there are a lot of felonies. There are a lot of um, molestation and abuse kinds of things. Um, there are a lot of DUIs. There, are, right now, on the county side, I don't have the breakdown for the city, for the city stuff. But those are going to be misdemeanors and gross misdemeanors because if they're felonies, then they go to superior court. They go to the other side, but. Like almost 700 of the failure to appear warrants are for DUI. So I imagine none of those people are, are drinking anymore or driving, <laughs> you know, right? I mean, you know, and, and they didn't bother to show up for court. So now they have a failure to appear. They have a DUI. They're still driving around, you know, uh, you know, somebody's going to get killed. You know, I mean, this just isn't Okay. There's a push. Um, you've probably heard about the big lift, and it's a housing landscape platform. It's, it's this big framework that's being put together, and you'll see hashtags, and you hear people talking about it. And it's got some good. It's got some good things. They've got some good things to offer, but it's like a Trojan horse. You know, we're going to roll this big thing up outside the city gates, and we want you to invite it in and engage it. And do it. And the thing that we need to be very careful with when we do things out of compassion and from a good place in our heart and wanting to help is that when we don't help people to be accountable, we don't really help them. We don't move them forward in their life. We just move their location. So wherever you go, there you are. And so a lot of this, I, I could get behind and support. In the, in a, with a framework of accountability, with a framework that includes screening, 22 North very readily adapt, demonstrates exactly what happens when you just throw a bunch of people in because, well, they need a place. Everybody deserves a place. Nobody should be without a roof. Just put them in there. And then don't have programming, don't have accountability, don't have consequences. Oh, I, yeah, and people with, with long-standing drug addiction and mental health issues – being housed in with young struggling adults right you with, know with people who are trying to get on their feet trying to get their life together 
you know, maybe they're further along in their sobriety journey. You know, it's interesting that the OC is involved in another organiz- with another organization that o- that's opening a 16-bed men's recovery facility called the Recovery House in Bellingham. When you read the Recovery House website, they make it very clear that it's important that people are on their sobriety journey, that they're getting clean. They don't allow smoking of anything on the premises. You know, they're they're holding people accountable. There's testing. There's, you know, you've got to be doing your thing. You know, that's what drug court is about. You know, people talk about, well, we should have drug court. I, 100%, I agree. We should have drug court. And we should also have a break. You're listening to Saturday Morning Live. I'm Lyle Sorensen. We're hanging out with Misty Flowers. We're talking about all things messy in Bellingham. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. This is Dick Donahue with Asset Advisors, and I'm sharing with you a very exciting announcement. I have made the decision to rejoin LPL Financial Services. I originally joined what was then Private Ledger in December of 1981 as one of about 300 representatives. I rejoin them now with over 21,000 representatives, over $1.3 trillion under management, and LPL is now part of the S&P 500 Index. In addition to discussing the latest financial news each week on Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI, I will share with you some of the reasons for this decision. Please join us at 11 a.m. each Saturday for our live Wealth Wake Up show or our 9 a.m. show on Sunday mornings here on KGMI. The opinions voiced in this show, program, podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable to you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Okay, next up for the auction, we have an amazing deal. This beautiful new American Standard Furnace and Heat Pump. It is consumer best rated, has a 10-year parts warranty, and it'll be installed by the pros at Linden Sheet Metal. Let's start the auction. First, for the savings, we have incredible tax credits. Do I hear $1,000? I moved to $1,000, I put a bit now $1,500, I put a bit now $2,000. Sold! You now have $2,000 off a furnace and heat pump. For utilities rebates, there's a mixed bag. Depending on what you get, there are savings of up to $2,400. We also have manufacturing and dealer rebates up to $1,500. And for our final item, we have financing. Zero down and zero interest if paid according to a contract. Do I hear six months now looking for 12 months? Do I have a bid now? 18 months, 18 months. I have. We have a winner. Congratulations. You don't have to be at the auction to make these great deals. It's open to everyone that calls. This deal includes tax credits, rebates, and easy financing. But don't wait. These savings won't be around forever. You too can be a winner. Call us today. Linden Sheet Metal, serving the Northwest for over 80 years. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live. I'm Lyle Sorensen. If your coffee hasn't woke you up yet, my can of Coke hasn't woke me up yet, and the bumper music hasn't woke you up yet, there's probably not any hope for you. Thanks for listening, though, because we really appreciate it. You know, this stuff's important, and we need to be talking about it. We need to be talking to our elected officials about it. We need to be talking to our friends about it. Um, I'm just going to say it. We need a new jail. We need a new accountability center. We do not have capacity. We have less. With booking restrictions right now, we have less than half the capacity that we need to deal with what we need to deal with. Um. I was talking with Sheriff Elfo, and I said, Bill, I said, what do you need? So we need 700 beds, like tomorrow. You know, 
Um, when we approve this levy in November, it's going to be five years. It'll be 2028 before before we really are able to have any accountability. Um, we are, I was just commenting on the big lift before the break. And, you know, it's well-intentioned, and there's, there's a lot of good in here. But I hate to say it, and this might be a crude way to explain it, it's kind of like a dog poop brownie. It's really good, except it's got some chunks of dog poop in it. And, and one, of the, one of the major premises, all of it's good except for those chunks, right? Um, you know, and I have to give council member Ellen Boss some credit. A lot of times on council, he is the lone no vote. And it's because he goes, I want to vote for this. There's so much I like, but there's two things in here I can't support. And so he's a no. You know, and, and that shows some integrity, whether you agree with Ben or you like Ben or you don't. You know, even people I disagree with, when they have principles and they stick to them, I respect that. Absolutely. And, and integrity is important. You know, and so one of the major premises of this is that government embraces risk and ultimate responsibility. And the problem with that is government would be a fool to indemnify this program as it sits without accountability, without consequences, without proper screening and programming. Oh, my gosh. It's reckless. It's, it's, a, it's a time bomb. It's a Trojan horse. Um, you know, and I know there's some people who are going to be really upset hearing me say that, but it's the truth. Um, we have got to quit making decisions based on what sounds good and makes us feel better. We have got to use sound reasoning We've got to use logic. We have to use compassion, but we still have to, we can't leave, check our brain at the door, right? You, you made a comment during the break about good intentions. Yes, there's a great quote, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. And 22 North represents that, absolutely. 100%. I don't think that anybody, when that program was instituted, when the private groups who helped fund it and support it, um, I don't think anybody was trying to do anything bad. I, th- I think talk about good intentions, right? It's like, you know, this sounds like a great idea. And it likely still could be. I, th- I think um, I would wager to bet after reading 170 pages of the police report investigation from um, the young lady's murder that that facility is pretty contaminated. I, I would I would venture to guess um, the resident testimonies um, when they were interviewed by police. People are talking about, you know, using drugs. The police are talking about, you know, people opening the doors and using, you know, they're using drugs when the cops are there. They're talking about sell, trafficking and selling. And you know, the person who committed the murder was a known trafficker. He was, he was bringing drugs into the facility all the time. Um, you know, it's part of the culture. And when you have open and notorious use and the managers and the case managers are not doing anything when people are coming in the report, there's, there's a place and I may, I may get into this on another show. There's a quote by one of the people the police were interviewing that there was no staff there after 7 p.m. Staff all left. So it was, you know. It's, that still happens. It was like an encampment 
it's like an it's like an encampment frat house, right? You know, yeah. During like, the day, they're staffed. In the <clears> evening, <throat> I've been there a couple times. When they, if they were staffed, they were somewhere else out outside of that main office. Well, and and when you look at that, you've got forty studios. From what I could tell from the police report, they were all at least double occupancy. There was, it sounded like there was almost two or three in every one. Whether they weren't maybe supposed to be, they may not be on the lease, but like there was people that were there and then their father was there and their. There's also people though that have, that have um, a, a contract there that don't even live there. Right. Well, and so uh, the, young, I- the young woman who was murdered, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. She actually was not a 22 North resident, but she had been staying there for about three months. She was, um, she was kicked out of another OC property called Dorothy House, and part of part of the package of mental illness that she struggled with is she would light fires, and she tried to light her room on fire at Dorothy House, and so she was ejected. And somebody, a case manager, somebody reached out to somebody over at. Over at 22 North and said, hey, you know, she needs a place to go because can she stay over there? And when you read through this case, she was just kind of couch surfing inside 22 North. You know, she had stuff in like three guys rooms and, you know, what kind of life is that? Interestingly and tragically, she was actually um, she was signed up for Agape House. She was literally within a day of moving to Agape House when she was murdered. Um, you know, that's really sad. You know, that's tragic. Here's a young woman who's who's battling with addiction, who's battling with schizophrenia and mental illness. She's managed to hang on for all this life, all this time. Um, she, there's text messages that she had sent her mom that just would break your heart. And, you know, she was excited about moving her life forward getting clean, you know, doing these things and becoming, you know, becoming as functional as she could. And her life was taken from her. Um, you know, it bears the question, how did, this guy was not a resident. How did he get there? Right. He was actually living in, interestingly, he was living in, when you read this police report, you learn all kinds of things. One of the things I found is that there's a fourplex Kind of over by Civic Field. That's all the more I'll say about the location. But it's also where he was busted. So if somebody really wants to dig. Um, and all of those residents in that fourplex, one, they all know each other, but that's that's kind of PSH. So it's like a PSH. It's a transitional housing kind of thing where they put people. But again, without supervision, without case management, with out services or super monitoring or any of those things. Yes, they're adults, but they're in a pro their housing's coming from a program. Right? So we are basically likely subsidizing people to have a drug house. Pretty much what it amounted to. You know, drugs and firearms. The guy had a DOC record. He wasn't supposed to be in possession of a firearm. Blah, 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 blah. Um you know it's a mess. Let's let's just look at it. You know and and I think that's one of the things Yes, it's messy when you're helping people out of addiction. When you're doing those things, it's messy. But, but we have this tendency to say, well, they can't do better. You know, 
um, when we find a success success case, let's talk about Jeannie Burton real briefly, right? Huge lived experience, clean and sober, award-winning scholar, all these things, gotten her life back on track. And so many times people dismiss her lived experience. Well, that worked for you, but not everybody can do that. Talk about othering. You know, you hear the term othering when, when we're talking about unhoused people or we're talking about people in addiction or whatever. To me, not having high standards, not saying that people can achieve and do better, that's the ultimate othering. Mm -hmm. That is othering, saying, well, you can't do any better than that. You can't hope for any better than that, so we're not going to expect better of you. Mm -hmm. You know what? When you set high goals, even if you miss them, if you were trying to accomplish them, you fall forward and get back up and the goal's still there and you go another day, you know just makes me livid yeah well and most you know most parents you're a parent most parents know if you gave your children everything that they wanted you would not be giving them the skills um the life skills that they need to thrive as an adult so why do we do that with adults why do we think we can hand them everything that they need with no accountability no personal integrity no sense of purpose and expect them to thrive in that environment right 100%. 100%. Children are, don't thrive in that environment. No, they don't. Why would adults? Right. Well, and there are advocates in our community who will say that everybody on the streets, everybody who's unhoused wants a house. 100% they do. Until it costs them something. Until it costs them a change in their lifestyle or it cause, causes them to have to put forth extra effort or change behaviors or any of those things, then it becomes no. But, you know, if I can have everything for free... Right. If I can have free medical care, if I can have free food, if I can have a free place to live, life is great, you know, and it just doesn't work that way. You know, sure, everybody's going to say that, you know, everybody wants to be clean until they have to give up their drug for three days. I've, I've gotten people checked into voluntary rehab and they usually make it three or four days. It's rare. It's a rare circumstance that on a voluntary, they make it longer than three or four days. Either they miss their they miss their significant other, their boyfriend or their girlfriend, or they miss the dope. Yeah, and I think we were talking about, you know, some of the treatments that they do offer with the incentive of getting people clean. They don't give them the structure to help them get clean. So then they end up either being addicted to these, these treatment options where it's a lifelong per- issue. Right. And then it's easier for them to go back into the drug because they've been suppressing some of those side effects, mm-hmm. you know, of withdrawal that like you've talked about with your friend, uh, Ginny, that she, mm-hmm. you know, the hardest thing that she did was was go through the withdrawals, but it absolutely saved her life because it made her not want to go back into right. that. Well, and, and I think and, and she's a proponent of that and she'll talk about that as well is, is she's not against medically assisted treatment. And, and neither am I, as long as it, ha- as it has a scheduled beginning and a scheduled end. And frankly, there should be some discomfort in the middle, yeah. right? Enough that you actually do not want to do that again, that, that it's a deterrent to go, you know, that was being dope sick, man. That was not fun. I don't want to do that. And, and, so, and have somebody holding you accountable while you go through that is right. also really, really helpful. It is. You know, we all need that. Every, every single one of us needs someone who expects more from us because that's how we become excellent. Misty, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for sharing. It was fun. We'll do it again. 
we'll get an update. Um, I know the the 22 North saga is going to continue. It's for better or for worse, hopefully for better. You're listening to Saturday Morning Live. I'm Lyle Sorensen, joined today by Misty Flowers. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in, oh, I don't even want to say it, October. Have a great day, everybody. Have a good weekend. Do something fun.